Real quick, before we get into the show, I wanted to share a new service called Getita that Ken and I have been using that has made us over $10,000 in Amazon reimbursements. The service requires no monthly subscription, and Getita collects a small percentage of the money they recover for you. It takes less than five minutes to set up and works on all Amazon marketplaces. Go to getita.com, G-E-T-I-D-A, and enter promo code FTM400. That's FTM for firing the man 400 to get your first $400 in reimbursements commission free. How much money does Amazon owe you? Do not spend borrowed money on employees or rent or Facebook ads or Amazon ads or anything that's consumable that you know you don't have something kind of like almost like the old gold standard where like you have a dollar of debt, you have a dollar of inventory. Uh, for me, we kind of try to always keep it in like the 75% range. Like if we had a million dollars in inventory, I'd be willing to take on three quarters of a million dollars of debt. It's the personal level that I set, you know, that leaves breathing room. I think it's always important to leave breathing room uh, because you just never know when the next pandemic or something's going to hit. And I want to do these 10 things. There's only time to do seven. Which three are not as important? You might be wrong. Maybe one of the things you drop off would have been the more important thing, but like at least you pick seven things, get those seven things done. That's what we're going to do this year and focus on them. And everybody on the team knows what they are and you march towards the same goal. Welcome everyone to the Firing the Man podcast, a show for anyone who wants to be their own boss. If you sit in a cubicle every day and know you are capable of more, then join us. This show will help you build a business and grow your passive income streams in just a few short hours per day. And now your hosts, serial entrepreneurs, David Shoma and Ken Wilson. Welcome everyone to the Firing the Man podcast. On today's episode, we are joined by Mike Jackness. Mike has been in the e-commerce space for over a decade and has a wealth of experience in e-commerce, marketing, SEO, and much more. Mike currently owns and operates several businesses in the e-commerce space and has been a featured speaker and presenter for countless events over the past several years. You might have heard Mike on his own podcast, Ecom Crew, where he and Dave Bryant have created a unique and transparent environment where they open the hood and share everything that's working for them and what's not. This is an episode you will certainly not want to miss. Welcome to the show, Mike. Looking forward to it. I, I sound much more impressive in that intro than I really am. So hopefully I won't let anybody down that's listening today. Oh, well, very good. Very good. Well, uh, let's start off this interview uh, with a little bit of background on your story and what led you to uh, first e-commerce and then continuing on with e-commerce. Yeah, th- th- this used to be a, a very short thing when I was younger, but as I've gotten older, this explanation gets longer and longer. Um, the, you know, the, the the shortest answer I can really give is I really was an entrepreneur out of the womb. My my dad's an entrepreneur, and I kind of grew up in that environment. Uh, I was not very good at school or in school. Uh, I, I just uh, looking back at it now, I realize that you know it was probably like ADD type issues that weren't really talked about or diagnosed back at that time. And I would just be bored and be sleeping in class because like I kind of got things on the first explanation and then just kind of drifted off and uh, just never really did well in school. And so I knew that I was going to have to figure out something I could do on my own at a very early age. I knew that college wasn't going to be the thing. I wasn't going to become a doctor or a lawyer. Uh, So my first business was actually doing computer consulting right out of high school. Like I went and bought a pager, 
back when those were a thing and uh, some business cards and just, you know, talk to people on my street and anybody that I knew on my network that I was doing computer services. This was back at a time where personal computers in the house were kind of brand new. And I'm starting to show my age here a little bit uh, and, and made a, made a little business out of it and, and did pretty well with it actually. And the long and short of it is, is that eventually one of my clients, cause I eventually got into like doing some business work over some, some of the years, one of my clients offered me a job uh, that I took and I did for seven years. And we'll talk a little bit about that, but I, I, I enjoyed most of it. And, and, and that experience learned quite a bit, a lot of things that I was able to apply to my future businesses. But eventually the entrepreneurial bug really kind of reared its head. And so in 2004, I left that job and started my own business doing affiliate marketing and uh, taken a sabbatical or two in between all that. And uh, Actually, doing affiliate marketing is what led me into doing e-commerce. We own treadmill.com that we bought to do as an affiliate site. And on a hike one day, I decided that I didn't want to really be an affiliate marketer anymore. I wanted to try to get ahead of what became, uh, it's interesting, I was kind of ahead of the curve on Google thinking badly of just generally of affiliate sites. And so we ended up drop shipping fitness equipment. And uh, that was our first four-way into, uh, into e-commerce. And all those years later, here we are. Awesome. So yeah, thanks for sharing your story, Mike. And uh, I want to kind of highlight that point where you had mentioned some of your earlier experience from like, you know, corporate or from your other jobs kind of helped you along on your journey. Now, can you speak to that a little bit? And also, like, say if someone's listening and they're thinking about starting a business, maybe speak to that, like how they can use their experience there and kind of propel them into maybe what space they're going to go into next or? Yeah, absolutely. It's interesting how in life, you might be learning things that you don't even realize you're learning. And that was certainly the case there. It was a, a growing company. When I started, I think I was employee 30 or 28 or something in that range. And when I left, we had over 200 people in offices all over the country. And I was on the executive team and was a pretty integral part of the inner workings of that growth. Uh, and as someone that was in the IT department, uh, my department was kind of in, like wrapped up in all the operations of the business. So like HR and things of this nature, accounting, like all of us work together in unison to grow this business. And seeing that stuff as a fly on the wall, again, I, I never expected to have to take care of HR issues in my life or accounting or some of the, the structural things that happen in a business as it's growing. But I sure did as I had my own company and, you know, that corporate politics stuff that you see happen and just kind of like the petty stuff that happens as a company gets bigger on the inside, helped me understand and prepare for it when it happened in our own company, being aware of HR things and being aware of accounting and other things really helped as I was going through it in my own businesses and just having some of that maturity and knowledge that. I wouldn't have had had I started those companies when I was 18. And, you know, it's just one of those things where, again, I didn't even think about that type of thing as I was, I was, as I was growing into that. And so I mean, if you're thinking about starting your own thing, if you're at a job right now, uh, you know, I would encourage you to, to think of some of the positives that, that are there and, and try to learn as much as you can before you do leave, because it can be a, a really good learning environment. And the reason I eventually left is I felt like, I wasn't really learning or growing anymore. I kind of had 
reached the peak of my potential there. A lot of it was because the company wasn't really growing anymore. And it, uh, what I realized was that like the reason I stayed there, even though I'm, I'm more entrepreneurial and, and prefer not to work for somebody, uh, is that it it had a very entrepreneurial flair and environment. I mean, it was that infectious buzz that's in the office as a company is growing that you experience yourself in your own businesses. I was experiencing that uh, somewhere else. And so eventually that kind of ran its useful life. And that was one of the reasons I left. Okay. Awesome. Yeah. Thanks for sharing that. So let's pivot a little bit and uh, let's talk profits. That's why we're, that's why we're all doing kind of what <laughs> we're doing. Yeah. Uh, at least it, it drives what we're doing. And so specifically for like Amazon sellers, e-commerce sellers, profit margin is like really, really crucial. And so can you kind of share with, with the audience, like what are, do you have any rules on like, if you're launching a product for, and you're going to sell at retail price, this, what should you land it for? What should the margins be? Things like that. And how do you, how do you back into that? Yeah, if you would have asked me this 10 years ago, I would have probably given you a slightly different answer. I think that again, everything's kind of a, a growing and learning experience. Certainly understood profit and margins and et cetera before I got into e-commerce. But my previous life was affiliate marketing where like margins are like 95%. Like there's just no expenses, right? <laughs> it just uh, it was kind of like money was falling out of the sky and I didn't know where the hell it was coming. It was just kind of uh, an interesting time in my life. But the e-commerce is a much different animal. And so the, to the answer to the question is whatever you're buying it for from your manufacturer the absolute least you need to mark it up is like 4x. So if you're buying something for for 10 bucks, you need to be selling it retail for 50 or for 40, I mean, uh, but 50 is even better. So 5x is even better. And the reason that it's important to make sure that you have that padding uh, is that things change. And, you know, and so like when I first started getting involved, like 3x was actually pretty doable. Um, and that's really the target that we had, where if we bought it for 10, we could sell it for 30. But the math doesn't work any longer. You know, things have changed. Advertising's gotten way more expensive. There's now import duties that we have to contend with. Shipping and logistics is just a complete wreck. And so it's much more expensive to get the stuff in. Amazon continues to raise their fees at every possible uh, opportunity that they have to do this. Uh, People expect more out of you now as a business than they ever had before in terms of returns and customer service and all of these things. And so making sure you have the margin to withstand all of these curveballs that are going to be coming at you inevitably from every direction. This is not a unique time that's, you know, to be thinking, you know, this is always going to be this way in any business you run in any industry, you have to be prepared for these things. It's kind of one of these things I've learned over 20 years of being in business. And so we really look at, at margin as, as a, a a non-starter, right? If we can't source at those margins, we do not go, man, well, I already put a bunch of work into this and I'm, Going to be really disappointed that we aren't going to launch this, and so I'm going to do it anyway because I've you know I've already come this far. Well, that just means that you're going to make you know you're going to be even more upset later. <laughs> so it's easier to make, it, to make the hard decision now than make them the harder decision later. Yeah, absolutely, and and that is so true. David and I were in that conversation a few weeks ago where, you know, I was vying for to push a product, and he's like, the numbers don't match, and so it's like you mentioned, Mike, it's it would create headaches down the road if if you go forward with with if the numbers don't match. So awesome. Nothing uh, ever gets David. cheaper, right? Like it isn't like someone ever comes to you and goes like, I'm going to give you a, a break on on this now, right? It's it's always more. And so you have to be prepared for that. Absolutely. As a follow-up to that, you know, when I'll give an example of shipping containers, uh, when they go from 3,000 to 20,000, a portion, you know, that cost needs to be passed on to the customer. 
one thing you hear a lot of Amazon sellers talk about is a hesitant, like, you know, if I increase my price by five bucks, I'm going to lose ranking. But at some point you need to, yeah. especially as costs shift. And, and we've seen that a lot in 2021. And so when you have a product and the costs are changing, what is your approach to those price increases? Are you doing it all at once? Are you, uh, is it a stair step? What do you, what do you do there? Well, this is where you're going to find out how transparent I am because I'll just uh, embarrass myself with this answer. Um, you, we, we waited way too long. As you already kind of alluded to, like everyone's scared to, to do it, right? I mean, and we were too, uh, to, to start raising prices because Amazon is such a flywheel-centric platform that losing even one sale a day like, can, can hurt you and hurt your organic rankings. And no one else was raising their price. You know, like I think we're all in the same position sitting in our offices or in our mom's basement or wherever we're running our businesses from and, and having the same dilemma of like, holy crap, man, like costs are going up everywhere. I feel like it's uh, been the year of a death by a thousand paper cuts. Uh, what do I do? And eventually, quite frankly, the reason we started raising prices because I just felt like I was backed in the corner and had no other choice. You know, it's just like, Either we do this or go out of business or we don't, we go out of business. But either way, like we got to raise our price. Like it was just like literally down to that point. And like I said, I'm a little bit of, like ashamed to kind of admit that because the result that happened was that it wasn't that bad. We raised our price and sales didn't go down. They actually went up in a lot of cases, which was really weird. Um, when I say a lot of cases, not every case. Like there are definitely, we, we have a pretty diverse line of products and a pretty diverse portfolio of products. And so not everything's going to respond the same way, right? So like some, some products, we raise the price a penny and the rankings tanked. It's kind of terrifying. But other products we raise by now 30 40%, and they're selling just as many units as they ever have. There's also the whole phenomena of uh, you may actually make more money selling fewer units. You know, A lot of us get hooked up on the number of units that we're selling or the number of dollars that we're selling. And often don't think about the profit, the bottom line number first. And so an example of this is like, if you have a product that you're selling for a hundred bucks and you're making 20% margin on it, you're making, making $20. Well, if you raise the price by $10, now your profit margin is 30 bucks. You just raised your price 10%, but your margin, your net margin is up 50%. And it's not quite exactly that. I get that because there's a 15% fee that Amazon's going to take. That's really the only additional fee that you're paying to get that extra $10 in sales. It's that dollar and 50 cent. Like the fulfillment fee is the same. The cost to get the customer is the same. So like really $8.50 flows to the bottom line and you've increased your margins by what, 40%. And what happened to us in reality was that like our margin was no longer 20%. It had gone down to like 4% because of all these things that we were talking about. And so again, it was kind of like, we're backed in this corner. What are we going to do? And so by raising our prices, we got the margins back up and we're still pushing the envelope to see where we can get. But if there's any one takeaway from this, I would encourage people to not be as frightened as I was to, to start raising prices.
If you want tips and strategies on how to start, grow, and monetize your business online, check out the Digital Revolution podcast with Eli Adams. We interview digital experts from around the world that share their personal stories. They talk about what they're currently working on and where they see the future going. But most importantly, they share tactics in their specific area of expertise with the hope of helping you improve your digital presence online. You can listen to the Digital Revolution podcast on YouTube, Spotify, Apple, iHeartRadio, or simply click on the link in the show notes below. Okay. Okay. To round out this conversation on sales price, are you split testing price with any software? Like I, we, I was using Profit Peak. Jungle Scout had a tool called Profit Peak, which anyway, it's I'm asking you the question. Not, no worries, <laughs> but please, but do, do you, you can have a two way conversation. That's not a one way talk. We use Profit Peaks you know, from Splitly. I'm good friends with Greg over at Jungle Scout. Uh, I think they've actually retired that software now, so I don't believe it even exists anymore. And Amazon's never going to have this split testing feature for this, right? <laughs> they they release split testing for your images and for your title, which is awesome, and it's uh, I encourage people to check that out. But they're never going to to do this for pricing. And so until a tool exists, the way that we've been doing it is it, it's kind of funny. A lot of things have ended up back on Google Sheets or Excel. It's you, know, you look for software to solve all these things, and you sign up for all this SaaS, and uh, you know all these years later, now we're like going back to like <laughs> to the old days and, and doing things on on Google Sheets or Excel. And so, what our team's doing first and foremost, we start with a baseline. And so, we took the price that we were selling it for, noted that we noted what our BSR was, our bestseller ranking in the category, which I think is an important distinction. You know, in our in our subcategory that that product is in, so let's say ice packs or gloves or trekking poles, whatever it might be, that that category, which is the important number to me, right? It's like how are your sales relative to everybody else in the category? You can't look at just the number of units you're selling on a daily or weekly basis because there's so much variance in that anyway. Like you can change nothing, and that number goes all over the place. And so looking at that, I think is a mistake because you might raise your price and see your sales go down, panic. And you're going to just have a false positive of like, I raised my price and that's why something went wrong when you would have just probably had less sales that week anyway. And so we're looking at BSR as our matrix. Now we do look at sales as well, but I think the BSR number is probably the thing we put the most weight in. And so then what we do is we set a target price of where we like that item to get to. And for everyone, that's going to be different. The way that we started that was, okay, Again, death by a thousand paper cuts. Let's put band-aids on everything and let's get back to where like imagine we were where we were before, you know, at the same margin. What would that price have to be? So if we want to make 20% net in today's dollars, in today's world of higher shipping costs and higher Amazon fees and higher cogs and everything else, what does that need to be? Let's let that be our target. And so that's what we set as our target column. Each week we started raising the price, trying to get towards that. Depending on the price of the item, we might raise it a, a dime or a quarter or a dollar. We never would do more than a dollar. You know, so for like higher priced items, we would move a dollar at a time. It doesn't make sense to go from $90 or $89.99 to like $90.09, right? That's kind of ridiculous. But to go from $9.99 to $10.09, just to see what happens when you like break that threshold of that, it has some argument to it. And I'm not saying there's any one right way. This is just the way that we approached it. And so each week, we would then go back a week later and look at what our BSR is now. Has the nightmare happened of 
BSR is just tanked and the business blew up like we feared. And 90 something percent of our catalog after we did this the first week, the answer was no, nothing went wrong. And in a lot of cases, sales actually went up. And, and we anticipate this or, or think that this actually, this phenomenon is because when you change your price and someone's had it in their cart, they will get a message saying this, this price has changed. And it kind of like nudges them a little bit to go buy. And so like that first week, you get this like uplift of, of that, that kind of makes it look maybe a little bit better than it, than it is. And we kind of anticipated that and, and saw that. Um, but then we would let things kind of settle down for a week or two and then raise the price a little bit more, raise the price a little bit more each week tracking the BSR. And again, if we saw it going the wrong direction, we'd stop and analyze. But if it didn't go the wrong direction, why not keep going? Why not go up another dime or another quarter or another dollar until we hit the target price? And now what's actually happened is either we've hit the target price on like 85% of our catalog, which is what the, or we haven't. Now we've set an even higher price. Like we're going even further with this. And for those of you watching on video, I have a, a visitor here. My, <laughs> my dog just walked in. This is uh, the thing of working at home. Um, it's about the time of the day where he likes to go out for a WALK. So <laughs> he'll, he'll just have to wait for that. He knows the word too. Uh, I have a bulldog and he know I cannot say it. I, I have to spell that out. You have That's to spell funny. it out. Yeah. It's, yeah. It's, uh, it's pretty funny. Sorry to interrupt the episode. You may have heard Ken and I talking recently about a new tool that we're using for Amazon refunds. Now, I have used other refund tools like this. However, I can tell you in the first seven days, they scrubbed the back end of my Amazon account going back 18 months and found $5,000 of refunds. And the nice thing about this is it's my money. Amazon made a mistake and they are just auditing my account. The other thing I really like about this tool is there is no monthly fee. They only charge a commission if they are successful in getting you your money. Go to getida.com, G-E-T-I-D-A, and enter promo code FTM for firing the man, FTM400. This is an awesome tool. Can't say enough good things about it. Now, back to the episode. But yeah, so that's what we've ended up doing. And again, I mean, we've been able to push the envelope on this pretty significantly. And it's really reinvigorated our business. You know, it's basically saved a dying business for lack of a better way of putting it. And you know, we're, we're back in, in a good spot again now um, and not as afraid to, to mess with this stuff because it wasn't as scary as I thought. That's good to hear. That's good. Uh, personally, <laughs> that's good to hear. And I think it's good to hear for our listeners. And this is across hundreds of SKUs and five brands. Mm -hmm. So this is not like an isolated thing. This has been you know, across everything for us. Yeah, that's, there's some real statistical significance. Exactly. There. So, yeah. so sticking with this profit margin theme, episode 432 of the Ecom Crew podcast, which this is an excellent one that all of our listeners should go check out. It was titled Mike and Dave's Business Review 2021. Hmm. And you discuss your brands and some of the key moves that you made throughout the year. And one of the things that you commented on was getting PPC spend dialed in. And so my question is, when you are looking at a brand, what does that process look like? Well, you know, it, it's been the, the amazing journey of PPC over a long period of time. It's interesting. We were just talking about another phenomenon in our business where you're scared to make changes, right? It's like, if, if I do XYZ to my PPC, what is that going to do to my organic sales uh, or just my sales overall. And so you can be a little bit frightened to, to do this. There's also been uh, different 
thought processes from different thought leaders, including myself. I mean, I'll be the first one to admit that I am hypocritical as it can be when it comes to this because I have or two-faced as much as possible on this because I've had different opinions about this over the years. And one of the thoughts I used to have was we should spend as much as possible on PPC to get as many sales through PPC as we could, as long as we were breaking even on it. Like those are just good sales to get. And what I really realized that that was a very flawed thought process. Best of intentions, horribly flawed thought process. Uh, first of all, like you wouldn't do this with anything else in your life or in your business. Like if someone said, like, if you give me a dollar, I'll give you a dollar back. Like, why the heck would you be doing that? <laughs> it, makes, it makes no sense. I mean, unless there's like a, a good reason or something, and, but the reason was flawed. It also sends a lot of, I think, really bad and false signals to Amazon. Now, you're, if, if you're operating in that range of ACOS or TACOS or whatever acronym of the day we want to use for, for PPC, statistically, what that means is that those words are, are converting worse than your organic rankings. And you're, you're showing Amazon, I think, some, some poor signals. And so what we've really tried to, to dial in is you know, getting our A costs coming down is kind of a result of like, we want our conversion rate on the keywords that we're doing to be as good or better than the, the organic rankings that we're looking for themselves. And so like, if you're overbidding on PPC, that means you're getting more clicks than you should from people that are searching for things that aren't really related to your product. And this really uh, can be exacerbated by like broad match or auto type campaigns, right? Where like, if you're just like, if you sell uh, ice packs as a, for instance, which we do, well, our ice packs are, are health related. They're not cooler related, like what you were putting your, in your ice chest. And so people just typing in ice packs are, are giving a bunch of false signals to Amazon and lowering our conversion rate on things that we do want to convert for. And we do want to, we do want to rank for why are we paying to like show people who are looking for an ice pack for their cooler uh, our, our product? They're never going to buy it. It's just a bunch of waste of money. And so by adding a bunch of negative keywords and really dialing in our spend, we've been able to reduce our ACOS, reduce our tacos, and make ourselves a much more profitable business. And the thing that's really interesting is that it's been helping, not hurting our organic rankings. And this is something we've been tracking pretty closely. And so like when I look at our business, one of the things that we have a, a weekly score sheet that we look at for all kinds of things. And one of the things we look at on a SKU basis is percentage of sales from organic and percentage of sales from PPC. And now our percentage of sales from organic is increasing and percentage of sales from PPC has been decreasing. And so like when we're launching a product and there's a reason to be like overspending because you don't have any visibility yet, that's a different story, right? I don't want to group that in that circumstance in with this. What I'm talking about aged products that um, you're just wasting a bunch of dollars on. And again, every dollar that you stop saving on PPC is just $1 right back to the bottom line, right? It's it, from a profitability standpoint, this is a one of the few levers you can, can control in e-commerce. There's not a lot of them. You know, so this is one of the few things you can, can, can control. And so we've worked pretty hard on this and I'm pleased with the results. Okay. So you had talked about trimming spend and I, Ken and I looked at a marketplace pulse survey the other day, not survey, but it was a, some stats that said CPC was up 30% mm. in 2021. And, and so, and we have trimmed spend in our own businesses and, and seen similar results. My question to you, as you trim spend, 
have you found a better spot to park those dollars in terms of a return on investment? We haven't. I haven't even really thought of it in terms of that. I think of it in terms of like, we were just wasting money um, and not in terms of like, oh, now I can go put this money somewhere else. Um, Unfortunately, there really isn't a lot of other things you can do. Like when it comes to the Amazon marketplace, you know, in terms of advertising, like you can do some Google PPC tricks and advertise on Facebook to a landing page and some other things, but all these things have been proven that they're not very cost-effective, um, including by our, ourselves. And so I mean, we're, we are investing in other things, but I don't think of it in terms of silos of like, okay, I've now saved $1,000 a month. I'm going to go spend that directly on something else. I mean, the thing that we've really been investing in is, is building off Amazon assets, uh, content sites, and things of this nature that rank organically on Google that can help push traffic to Amazon. Uh, so we could argue that maybe we're taking that money that we're saving from PPC and investing more in that, but I don't necessarily think of it in, in those terms personally. I just think of it in terms of how am I going to survive as an Amazon seller when there's money to be made here. I've seen this same phenomenon happen in all the other businesses that I've done, this life cycle of like people are piling in because it's deemed to be this easy place to make money, even though we all know that that's not the case. Um, <laughs> you know, And so lots of people are flocking there and a lot of them are going to be willing to do all the black hat stuff. Just statistically, this is going, there's going to be a contingent of people that are going to do that stuff. Like, How do you compete against them in a white hat way? Well, it's it's pretty difficult. So, I mean, the thing that we've done is is I think about the harder work, the long term thing, which is those off Amazon content type sites that are going to to ride the storm of of these types of black hat issues. Very nice, very nice. What? And this is my last question on PPC, and then I'm going to kick it over <laughs> to Ken. Uh, so, uh, this is very helpful um, to apply some numbers to this. Say we have ten dollar. Sales price our fully loaded cost after you account for everything is seven bucks. So we have a 30% profit margin. And let's say uh, it's 50 50 organic and PPC. How would you approach that as you are looking at your spend? The, the number that we've really dialed in on is, is this tacos number. So total cost of sales. And so we're looking at Company-wide, we look at the high number, you know, the high-level number. We also get down into the skew number of this. But what we've really found, again, across, this is one of the benefits of, of running multiple businesses across you know, different product lines. Uh, the number that we've really kind of dialed in on is 8%. I don't know this is perfect for everyone, but for us, you know, for every $100 in sales we get, we feel like we should be spending $8 in PPC as a company. And we you know dial that in on a on a skew level as well. What I found is that if it's lower than that, we're spending too little and not getting all the exposure that we should. And if it's more than that, then we're just our profitability erodes. And where it really falls off the cliff is at twelve percent. And so I think you can you can be higher than eight, but if you're looking at of a graph of your profitability on a, on a chart, it will it'll really tail off when it gets past twelve percent. And it's not it's not linear because again, every dollar you spend. Uh, has this magnified effect on on net, and so as you spend more, like your profit margin will tail off really quickly. And so, past twelve percent, we find that we got to make make some hard choices and, and decisions and, and, and tone it down. And again, 
we were scared to do this. You know, same exact situation with pricing. It's like, oh my God, like what, like what happens now? Like, I mean, we're, it's, we're in a bad spot. We're going to make it worse by doing this. And until we were really backed in the corner and had to make the tough decision because we had no other choice, like I don't have a rich uncle and I don't think you guys are going to give me a bunch of free money. <laughs> so, I mean, we just met each other. So uh, you got to make, you got to make the tough choices sometimes. Right. And that was really where this was born out of and like really lit a fire in our, our butts to, to think about things differently. Very nice. I appreciate you applying a number to it because I have heard, I have asked this question to a lot of people and, and oftentimes the response is, well, it depends on the product and the brand. And I would disagree. It's, it's, I definitely you know, disagree. I mean, it, and I would love to challenge anybody. That, we can talk about it. Uh, I'd love to get a group, a panel together of a hundred different sellers and, and have this conversation. And I would be willing to bet that if it's above 12%, you're struggling to be profitable. I, I agree. I, I, agree with that. And, and that range is very helpful to our listeners. So thank you for that. Uh, over to you, Ken. Yeah, sure. So yeah, a- excellent insight on that too. And, and David and I are in, in some in our brands, we're dialing that in now. I used to be in the camp of, of you, Mike, where, you know, hey, you know, tell the PVC team, hey, just spend as much as you can. I want this ACOS below this and let's let's go to the moon. And, you know, when that taco skits up and you know, passes that organic sales as that, that seesaw effect, you know, your profitability and that income, it, it just goes away, it evaporates. And so the tacos is, uh, yeah, really crucial. And so that, that's great insight. I want to pivot into a little bit more of a question on, um, it kind of is impacting sales, uh, through inventory. And this is something that's uh, fairly new on the scene because it's been not an issue for about 18 months now. We, we've not been able to do anything, but Mike, previously, let's say let's reverse 18 months ago. Have you and your team tested any uh, inventory levels, with, specifically to the Amazon marketplace, to to um, because there's a regional sales, and uh, David and I are kind of testing this a little bit, but we're we're trying to find out if um, if if there is a specific software or a level where you know a threshold of how much inventory you send in to where you're capturing all of the sales for every region and. Uh, just uh, I guess within the last I don't know two weeks or four weeks on Amazon, we've seen most of our accounts like quadruple or you know go up by four x five x for inventory. So we're now we're you know kind of pushing those containers in there, and so now we're ready to we can probably start looking at that again. So I'm curious to see if if you tested this and and kind of what what is that level? We we first heard chatter about this uh, in the MDS community and then in ECF and eventually started doing some tests ourselves and talking to our community about it. There does seem to be a pretty clear line of evidence of if you are over a particular inventory threshold for particular items, that sales do better. You know, at first it was kind of like unexplainable. For us, it was actually what ended up happening was like on products that we, this is you know going back a couple of years now, but like products that we were starting to run out of stock on, we noticed that like our sales velocity would like go down along with the inventory count. And it like was just this really weird phenomena that we never put two and two together until someone kind of speculated this. And, and then we had some better testing to do. You know, the, the issue right now is that like, who the heck knows from day to day? I mean, Amazon's so bipolar with uh, <laughs> inventory levels that I, I can't consciously, you know, in good conscience, uh, plan any future of our business around what my inventory levels are today. You know, I feel like if I were to order more inventory today, and we're recording this in late February, 
based on my inventory levels and say, okay, I'm going to go now order a container of goods from my manufacturer in China. I'm going to go put that directly in the Amazon through AGL. Like everything's copacetic again now. I'm convinced that by time that inventory is ready to land in Amazon, they'll have changed their mind and I'll be diverting containers again back into a 3PL and at my expense. Um, and so we are still being quite cautious with our inventory, even though like it feels like you know the the parents have left and the kids are home with a bunch of liquor and no one's looking <laughs> right now, right? It's just like, all right, let's go have a party. Uh, but we're taking a little bit more cautious approach to it because I'm just worried the day that it, what I don't want to have to go back through again is like looking at that red number of like you can't send anything in, like you're, you're six thousand units above your threshold. And man, that was a horrible feeling. I mean, God darn knows, that was a really tough time. You mentioned that episode earlier about the year in review. And I, I recall talking about this a little bit and that of just like how hard of a year it was in e-commerce. I mean, just, and this was one of the, the worst things that like, I just, it tore me up because again, talk about death by a thousand paper cuts. It is not cheap to having your business model shipping container directly from China in the Amazon, having to divert that container because Amazon's now canceled the shipment for no good reason and won't reactivate it for you. The thing's coming off the boat and they're like, what do I do with it? Okay, well, I got to send it off to a 3PL now. Well, guess what? They want $2,000 to offload the container and put it on pallets for you. Then they're going to charge you to store it. They're going to charge you to fetch those things and send them back in the Amazon. Meanwhile, now I'm over inventory limits. And so I have things that I'm sold out of that I have the product, but I can't send it in. And so we're again we're we're just going to take a bit of a cautious and wait and see approach. I, I have a feeling if I was going to guess on how the year is going to go, that yeah, right now, sure, send in whatever you want. Like it's not the holidays, but when Prime Day comes or Black Friday, next, you know, later this year, and we're going through the holiday season again, I, you know, from what I read and understand of Amazon, they haven't just suddenly added four X infrastructure and square footage. So I think it's like a, a false sense of security that we might all have right now of, I hope I'm wrong, please. Like, let me be wrong about this, please. But again, we're taking a, a cautious approach to it just to be safe, to not be in that situation again. Thank you everyone for tuning in to today's Firing the Man podcast. If you like this episode, head on over to firingtheman.com and check out our resource library for exclusive Firing the Man discounts on popular e-commerce subscription services. That is firingtheman.com backslash resource. You can also find a comprehensive library of over 50 books that Ken and I have read in the last few years that have made a meaningful impact on our business. For that, head on over to www.firingtheman.com slash library. Lastly, check us out on social media at Firing the Man and on YouTube at Firing the Man for exclusive content. This is David Schomer and Ken Wilson. We're out. Before you go, we wanted to share a new service that Ken and I have been using called Getita that has made us over $10,000 in Amazon reimbursements. The service requires no monthly subscription and Getita collects a small percentage of the money they recover for you. It takes less than five minutes to set up and works on all Amazon marketplaces. Go to getita.com, G-E-T-I-D-A.com and enter promo code FTM400. 
That's FTM for Firing the Man 400 to get your first $400 in reimbursements commission-free. How much money does Amazon owe you?